Well, got so excited praising the Lord, my contact lens fell out, uh, Dr. Butler. Uh, so I got one here, so we'll see how, see how we'll, this is going to be fun, it's going to be different. Um, start crying, start worshiping the Lord and feel things falling out of your face, it's just so good. But um, all right, we're in the book of Acts today, Acts chapter 7, we have 16 verses we want to share with you, we want to read these, spend a little more time on some than the others. This is Stephen wonderful follower of Christ in the, in the, really the battle of his life. He is before a religious tribunal, a, a, a group of people are going to condemn him to death. We know that he becomes the first Christian martyr. And though he is dead, his life and his legacy speak so profoundly to us today because God has preserved his story. I love good stories. And Stephen is a phenomenal storyteller. In the midst of his apologetic, his defense for Christ, he's going to recount some people that you and I are very familiar with. He will go back to the life of Abraham. He'll talk about Joseph. He'll talk about Moses and David. And I know this is a long chapter, chapter 7. It goes all the way through to like, I think it's 50 or 60. Yeah, 60 verses. Um, Aren't you glad I'm not preaching on all 60? Amen. It would be a long service. But we're only going to do 16 verses And we're going to look at really some ways that you and I can give defenses for our faith. I've got this hard thing I want to say to you. Can I just go ahead and say it and get it over with? Because if some of you are going to get upset with me, I want you to go ahead and get upset with me now so that you can begin to forgive me as the service goes along, okay? You know, that's a Christian thing to do, by the way, is to forgive those, you know. And here's the thing that God, I believe God has given me this word to share with you, that If you never are challenged in your faith so that you have to give a defense, then I don't think you're living the Christian life. Because if you really live it and speak it, then you're going to be challenged. You say, but wait a minute, I just hang out with Christians. Well, that's another problem, okay? Because Jesus, He just hung out with people that were hurting. And so did the early church. And so if you haven't bumped up against the devil lately, you might be walking with him, okay? So let me encourage you and challenge you with the life of Stephen to be so bold and to be so faithful that it would cost you. Her name is Kelly Monroe Colbert. You talk about a feisty lady. When she was at Harvard Divinity School, she was so heartbroken over the immorality in the Divinity School. Now, let me say that again, because I know that, that, up, that, that doesn't make sense, right? She's so upset by the blatant immorality, sexual immorality, drunkenness in the Harvard Divinity School. You said, but isn't that a seminary? Isn't that where they're supposed to study to train preachers? I know, it's true. And so she started a movement called Veritas. And Veritas in Latin means truth. Very good, truth. It became so popular that, um, well, let me just fast forward to today. It's, it's spread throughout the nation, even internationally. And it began at Harvard with one lady named Kelly who felt so burdened for the gospel. Harvard was established, like all of our Ivy League schools were established on faith and on Jesus and on training preachers to be uh, pastors of the churches in colonial America. Did you know that? And yet we've departed so violently from Scripture and from morality and ethics. So anyhow, Kelly, bless her soul, she, she said, I'm going to go to, I've been invited to the State University of New York called SUNY, the acronym S-U-N-Y. 
She drove seven hours in the snow to Albany, New York. And when she got there, she noticed that all the students were running to the auditorium. She thought, what is going on? Did I miss something? And when she showed up, she asked one of the students, she goes, everybody's going to the auditorium. It's packed. People are sitting in the aisles. What is happening? She goes, and this guy told her, oh, there's a Bible thumper coming. There's a Bible thumper going to come talk to us about feminism and we cannot wait. She was the speaker. And she thought, oh, heavens, what have I got myself into? Well, the Southern Baptists, we're the ones that invited her. And the little Southern Baptist group that was on campus, they met her and they said these words, we are praying for you. <laughs> Good luck, we are, we're praying for you. So she gets up to speak. And, and this has happened to me once before, not at a university, but downtown at our capital, that when you get up to speak, you can't speak because people are shouting so loud and they're so angry and they're cursing. And so she said, God, what am I supposed to do? Well, here are the different groups that were represented in the crowd, and they came and they were so prepared. First of all, you had the International Socialist Organization, it's a socialism group. You had the lesbian, the gay, bi, transgendered, uh, queer, rainbow coalition. No, that's what Q stands for, you know. I was on a campus one time and they actually had Queer Pride Week when I was there. I was writing my PhD dissertation. I was up in Cleveland at a university and literally they had, a, they had a big sign and they were celebrating. The guy that I had, well, I was writing my dissertation on, he was the president of that school. He was so conservative, he wouldn't even drink coffee or tea. I can't imagine what he would think about that university now, but anyhow. You also had the National Organization of Women Now, and everybody showed up and it is electric. She gets up to speak, true story. You can find this in her book, Finding God Beyond Harvard. And she goes, what do I do, God? And God spoke to her heart, just write down whatever they tell you. And so for an hour, she took a piece of chalk. This is when they used to have chalk and chalkboards. And she turned around and on the board, she would say, okay, go ahead. And, and they would just shout and curse and question. And, and she would write it down. And I got a couple of these quotes. One of them, the president of the Socialist Club he, he was so angry and shouted out to her, God is a construct of the capitalist oppressor. And then the Gothic Wiccan lady stood up and said, did somebody pay you to come here? You're being used. You are a subjugated tool of the white male hegemonic power structure, a repressed homophobic Westerner disconnected from the goddess of wisdom and the rhythms of nature. That's who you are. And Kelly turned around and looked at that lady and said, ma'am, you are so much smarter than me. Would you please say that in a way that I could understand it? And that's what everybody did. Everybody laughed. And Kelly said that was the moment it all changed. Because they could tell that Kelly wasn't there to be mean. She was just there to share Christ. Well, she, after the, the voices calmed down, she said, God, now what do I do? And, and she felt the Holy Spirit say, listen, listen to this word. Wow, this, this had to be from God. God impressed upon her to say these words, tell them about my heart by telling them about my son whom they do not know. And so that's what she did. And she began to share, and here's some of her speech. She said, Jesus, he offers hope and forgiveness and a new life. He's the answer to sexism, racism, consumerism, con uh, injustice, and cynicism. Where there's forgiveness and love, the cycle of evil is broken. Bitterness dissolves and gratitude emerges. 
With Jesus as our best friend, the world begins to look new and full of possibilities. Nobody's shouting anymore. Nobody's hissing and booing, cursing. Jesus gives us hope. God is for us. Harvard, he breaks down the walls that defied us. And after she finished, the Wiccan lady came up to her and said, quote, I really didn't mean everything that I said. There's just a lot of pressure in my field, and I really had a different image of Christians until you came. And Jeff, the Socialist Club president, came up to her and said, I came with a thesis. I was looking for an antithesis. Remember that? The, the, the Marxism thesis, antithesis. He said, I was coming, I was looking for that in Christianity as the antithesis, but I didn't find it. I'm so sorry. I was very harsh. I really didn't know Jesus. And this is what Kelly told him. She said, Jeff, the communist revolution is probably over. It lasted a hundred years. Would you be willing to follow a greater revolutionary? One whose movement has gone from a few friends to more than two billion people. One who died to forgive and to love the least, the last, the lost. People like you and me, Jeff, would you be willing to follow him? And Jeff said, yes, I will. I would be willing to do that. Uh, on Monday, Leighton, my son, called me. He uh, helps us with our social media here at Great Hills. He said, Dad, i got really something strange I need to talk to you about. I said, what's going on? He said, um, you remember when I put a post on social media about you getting all excited, you were preaching, you ran, you jumped up on the pew and you were preaching. I was like, yes, son. I never watched that, by the way. I, I, I can't listen to myself. I can't watch myself. I don't know how y'all deal with that kind of stuff, but I just like, oh, who is that person? Bless him, you know. Well, Leighton posted it and a group out of Dallas boosted it and we got 80,000 hits on that one video clip of me preaching. And everybody rose up and called me blessed and how wonderful of a person I was. <laughs> Ooh, you're talking about angry, hateful, mean words against me and what I said. And Leighton said that for three weeks. I've been, I've been answering them. And I've tried to go through every single one of them that criticized you. And I told them, you reprobate, that's my dad. How dare you say those things? I'm just kidding. He didn't do that at all. He just answered each one of them. But he said, a lot of them, Dad, were, were defending you. A lot of them were speaking up on your behalf. People that you don't even know were going back and forth. And I thought, man, things really hasn't changed a lot, have they? You go to the book of Acts, and Stephen is in a fight for his life. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we take a stand for Bible morality, ethics. We take a stand for the exclusivity of Christ. And we can take a stand that the Word of God is true, that there is a God in heaven, there is a hell, and God loves us. He wants us not to go there. And yet, when we speak these foundational, fundamental truths of the Christian faith, then we come into violent confrontation with people who disagree with us. You say, well, that doesn't happen to me. Excuse me? This is, this is our city. This is Austin, Texas. At this point, when I first came to Austin as your pastor, I would probably get angry and say stuff like, those heathen secularist and atheist and those people. And you know what? I don't do that anymore. Because you know why? Because I want those people in our church. I want the, the secularist and the atheist and the LGBTQT, all the letters. I want them because I want them to meet our God who loves them. 
who died for them so that they could have a relationship with him. So today I'm going to read this text to you. It's, um, it's, it's, very, it's, it's, it's very powerful. And um, are you ready? You ready to read it? Okay, good. Let's, let's do it. I've read this so many times. I have not read it to you this morning, have I? Okay, good. I'm serious. I, I, I've read this so many times this week, and I've, I've studied and poured over this passage. I'm just praying God helps me say what he wants me to say. Okay, number, here we go. Then the high priest said to Stephen, are these things so? Now, these things would refer to the accusations leveled against Stephen, that he was a traitor, he had blasphemed the temple, the law, God, and Moses, and the Caiaphas, by the way, just a few months earlier, is the same Caiaphas that Jesus Christ himself appeared before. And Caiaphas, the high priest, said, Stephen, we're going to ask you a question. Are these things true, or are they so? And Stephen said these words, brethren and fathers. Listen to the respect in his voice. He's appealing to the Sanhedrin. The God of glory, it's only mentioned one other time in the entire Bible in Psalm. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haram. And he said to him, get out. Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. And then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and he dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you, you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on it. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for possession and to his descendants after him. But God, oh goodness, mm, mm. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them for 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God. And after that, they shall come out and they will serve me in this place. Then he gave them the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, some of you are going, what in the world is going on here? I mean, this guy's in a fight for his life, and he's given an Old Testament 101 history lesson? Oh, let me tell you something, church. There's much, much more than meets the eye. Just listen to his, listen to his apology that morphs into a polemic. And what I mean by that, the apology or the defense will, will change into more of a confrontation. But before he confronts his accusers, he must first establish that he is a, a, a credible witness. And he knows, he knows the facts about which he's speaking. So he's already taken you through this litany, through this Old Testament history of the father of the faithful. Father, what's his name? Abraham, all right? Next, he's going to give them a lesson, a history lesson, on none other than Joseph, arguably my favorite character in all the Old Testament. And the patriarchs, becoming envious, they sold Joseph into Egypt, but God. Can, can y'all just say that with me on the count of three? 
One, you say, what am I saying? But God, okay. One, two, three. But God. That's a great word, y'all. Forty-five times that phrase is listed in the Bible. You say, how do you know that? I counted them. You say, well, it took you a long time. Well, I know, but I did. Forty-five times the words but God are used. Two of the 45 are in this very text. Whenever you read those two words, don't, no matter what's against you, no matter how difficult it is, you can say, but God. But God was with him and delivered him out of all of his troubles. And God gave Joseph favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Look at verse 11 when it says, Now famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob, and all of his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died in our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. So this is the first part of his, of his speech that he's going to give. And, and, and by the way, let me just remind you of the context the context, this will eventuate into the martyrdom of Stephen. Stephen has been put on trial. It's a religious trial, but back then you could be tried and accused and condemned to death by execution because of your religious beliefs. Remember Jesus, that's what happened to him. There was false accusation. They were um, telling, oh, you said you had destroyed the temple or why are you... Why are you coming into our territory and taking our people away from us and telling us that you're the way to God? And so Jesus would end up dying, telling them the truth. And now Stephen, same thing, same people that accused Jesus and killed Jesus is now uh, before Stephen. And Stephen, this is his context. Remember who he was. He was a deacon. He was chosen in Acts chapter 6, the first of seven chosen. And he was chosen because he had these, these three what I call couplets or attributes about his walk with God. And these are things that I aspire to be. And here they are. It says that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, grace and faith and power. And so Stephen, whose name Stephanos means crown, in Acts chapter 6, it, it gives you these couplets. It tells you he's full of wisdom, grace, power, and faith, Holy Spirit, and, and he is full of God, and, and he's been out into their synagogues. Remember last week we talked about how he, he went into the synagogues, and man, they were debating. They were going back and forth, and, and Stephen, he is debating them that the, the Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and, and yes, he is the promised Messiah. When you go back all the way to Genesis chapter 12, he's, he's predicting and we're actually Genesis chapter 3 and then you come all the way through the New Testament and the, and the people just don't get it. And, they, and when they don't get it, they get angry. And then they turn violent. Does that sound familiar? People don't get it. They get angry and then they turn, sometimes can turn violent. But here Stephen is. And you see him full of God's Holy Spirit and wisdom. And the Holy Spirit is leading him. He does a masterful job and his speech, F.F. F. Bruce says this, his speech 
such as this was by no means calculated to secure an acquittal before the Sanhedrin. Did you hear that? He knows that what he is saying will probably cost him his life and yet he still has the spiritual steel backbone to stand up there and say these words to confess that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And he knows it's going to cost him his life and he does it anyhow. It is a defense of pure Christianity, Bruce writes, as God's appointed way of worship. The insistence that the Jewish people's refusal to acknowledge Jesus as Messiah was all of a piece with their attitude to God's messengers from their beginning. Joseph's brothers hated him, although he was God's predestined deliverer for them, Moses. Another divinely ordained deliverer was repudiated by his people more than once. So that's the context of his speech. And then you begin to look at in verse 2, he addresses them in a kind way. He calls them brethren and fathers. He is appearing before Caiaphas, same guy, in Matthew chapter 26, verses 57 through 66, that Jesus appeared before. He was the high priest until A.D. 36, so that helps us. We know that Jesus is crucified around A.D. 31, 32, somewhere in there. And now the Caiaphas, he is going to stay in power until A.D. 36, and now Stephen it's appearing before him. And he gives this great word that our God is um, the God of glory. Psalm 29, verse 3. He's identifying, and this is masterful, this is a stroke of genius. He is relating to and identifying with his accusers that the same God that they say that they know and they love and they worship, the God of Abraham and the God of Joseph is the same God who has lavished his love and mercy and grace upon us by sending his son, Jesus Christ. And I stand guilty before you today to proclaim to you that this Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, is God's redeemer, God's answer to our problem of sin. That was Stephen's message. And yet he does it so, so skillfully, so masterfully. And he appeals to, well, first of all, he appeals to Abraham. If you're taking notes, number two, I call this part selection because God selected Abraham. And watch, watch Stephen as he, as he weaves in the story of Abraham. And I know you know a lot of this and you've read this. Father Abraham was in Mesopotamia and God says, get up and go. And he goes to Haran and then God says, I want you to go. And, and this time I want you to go and I'm not telling you where I'm taking you, but I just want you to be obedient and follow me. How do you like that? Isn't that cool, the way God does things? Sometimes God's, we think that doesn't make sense, but in God's mind, it makes perfect sense because God wants you and me to trust him. And he says, Abraham, get up. I want to take you to a land. And, and as you're going, I'm going to show you. And Stephen is appealing to the progenitor, to the author of the Jewish religion and faith, this Hebrew of Hebrews was a man of God who trusted God, stay with me, even in things he didn't understand. Did y'all catch that? Sanhedrin, you don't understand. But if you would have faith and obey God like Abraham did, you wouldn't put me to death. You see what he's doing here? It's a, it's a masterful stroke of genius. And, and Stephen would say, quit talking about me like that. It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was giving me the words to say. 
One writer says the opening words of his defense imply that the people of God, they must be on the march and go out where God may lead them. The two sterling qualities, the stellar qualities that Abraham had and that Stephen will accentuate over and over in his speech. Here's the, here are the two qualities, faith and obedience. He keeps going back to those two, faith and obedience. Faith. Abraham had great faith. First of all, he gets up, leaves his father, leaves the homeland, and goes to a land that God would show him. Then God says, oh, by the way, I'm going to give you all the land, and your posterity, your lineage, it'll be your people who will inherit all this land. And Abraham's going, whoa, hello, time out. I'm not, I don't even have a child. How can, how can these things be? How can you give me all of this land? And Sarah, Lord, have you checked yet? She's 89, I'm 99, it ain't happening. It just ain't happening. Ain't no babies coming out of this union. And, I, and, and, and she gets pregnant. She has a baby and they named the baby Laughter. <laughs> You'd laugh too, right? I mean, you, 99, 89, have a baby. Isaac means laughter. And so Abraham's a man of faith. And, and Abraham takes this teenager now, he's... he's his name is Isaac, and, and Abraham, God tells him now, sacrifice Isaac, take his life. And you say, well, wait a minute. God, there you go again. You don't make sense, God. Why are you doing these things, God? Is anybody else like that? Y'all ever, ever do that? Hey, by the way, if you do that, that's okay. God's big enough to handle that. He's much bigger than that. And so here he is, and he puts him on the, the wood, and he's, he draws his knife. See, help me understand that. What, what's going on there? Why would God ask Abraham to take the life of Isaac? Because it's through Isaac that, that Israel really is going to be born. He will have Jacob, and Jacob will have 12 sons. Help me understand that. Well, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews tells us the key. Hebrews, I think it's eleven nineteen, says that Abraham, watch this, was willing to kill his own son, because he believed God so much that after he killed him, God would raise him from the dead. That's what Hebrews says. And that's why Stephen is appealing to Abraham. Because Abraham had this amazing faith in God, this trust in God, and this, and this proclivity, this propensity to obey God, even though he could not understand God. Are you willing to do that, Sanhedrin? Are you willing to trust God, obey God, even though God is doing something absolutely new? And so you're going to have to come out of your religiosity. You're going to come out of your, your old wineskins. You're going to have to come out of your staid, stoic, ossified, calcified religion. You're going to have to let God Almighty break the shackles of religion and step into a new life with Christ. Are you willing to do that? I can just see the Sanhedrin stroking those long pharisaical beards, you know, whispering to one another. Strong, strong word. And what's implied here is that Stephen is telling them that Abraham had faith and obedience, and you don't. And you want to kill me because I'm trying to tell you the truth that will absolutely set you free. All right, the point number three is promotion. He, he dips back into the Old Testament. He's going to give another powerful argument based on the life of Joseph. And by the way, guys, don't think for a moment that any of this is lost on the Sanhedrin. Are you with me? No, don't think for a moment 
that they are yawning and going, oh, what is this guy chasing rabbits? I never heard a speech quite like this. No, let me tell you, the Bible says at the end of this speech that they gnawed with their teeth. They were so angry that they snatched up Stephen, they threw him in a pit and they pelted him with stones, bashed his brains out until they killed him. So don't think they didn't understand. They understand very well. Have you ever noticed that religious people can be really, really mean? Not, not that any of us would ever know anything about that, but I'm just saying, I read somewhere that religious people, now, now get it now, religious people who think they're right, they will fly into airplanes with buildings. They will cut your throat. They will criticize you. They will, because they're right. Nobody is more dangerous when they think that God's on their side and God's actually against them. Let's look at Stephen for just a minute. I mean, and look at Joseph for just a minute. I love Joseph. I think he is my favorite. You look at verses 9 through 16, and the patriarchs, that would be the 12 tribes, right? The 12 sons of Jacob. They became envious. Ooh, ooh. Ding, 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 ding. Ouch. You know, the Bible says in Mark 15, 10, Pilate knew that the chief priest had handed Jesus over because of envy, end of quote. Oh, Stephen, did you go there? Did you actually call them out for their jealousy and envy of Jesus? He did. He does it in such a masterful way, though. He didn't even say it, but he said it. And the patriarchs became envious, and they sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. You know that three times in the book of Genesis chapter 39, verses 2, 21 and 23, it says that God was with Joseph. And even though bad things happened to Joseph, God was with him. But God, but God, but God, 45 times it's mentioned in the Bible, ain't everything's stacked against you, but God is for you. People are criticizing you, and people think that you lost your ever-loving mind because you believe in a God you cannot see, and you don't worship the gods of materialism and secularism, and you don't bow down to atheism and to the idols of the, the polytheism of the gods of this world, and why don't you do that? Why don't you become more like us but God? But God is with me, and God will be my strength and my source of salvation, and, and I will stand and I will testify because of God, but God. And there's, there Joseph, bless his heart. Don't you feel for him? First of all, God delivered Joseph, delivered him out of all of his troubles, verse 10, and, and, and gave him favor and wisdom. You say, what kind of trouble did Joseph have? Well, remember, can, can we study Joseph for just a minute? I know I preached Genesis 39 through 50 years ago, and it was so fun studying this man. Uh, Joseph was the youngest of the 11 brothers. Benjamin would come later. And he was his father's favorite, and Jacob kind of let it be known that Joseph was the favorite. And so the other 10 brothers were envious. They grabbed the 17-year-old Joseph. They threw him in a pit. Y'all remember this? His own brothers, his own countrymen, his own people, takes him, throws him in the prison. Uh, the traveling Egyptian band, they come by and they, they pull him out of the, 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 really, I say a dungeon, really a hole, pick him out of the hole and take him and, and uh, he's in jail. And then Potiphar, who works for the Pharaoh, says, hey, I want to employ you. So he employs him and he's doing a great job until Potiphar's wife 
accuses him of rape. And so Joseph's like, no, 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 you know that's not true. Next thing you know, Joseph's in jail. He's innocent. He hadn't done anything wrong, falsely accused. He's in jail for two years, in prison. And then Stephen says, but God, God delivered him out of jail. God delivered him out of the envious bloodthirstiness of his own brothers. And he went into prison. Watch this. Are y'all with me? Are you with me? Y'all following this? Are y'all following this? He went into prison and God Almighty lifted Joseph up out of the prison. And that's precisely what Jesus Christ did. He died on a cross. He's coming. Go to the end of the speech. I mean, it's all about Jesus. Jesus died for you, Sanhedrin. He was buried and God the Father raised him from the dead. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the same God that you say that you worship, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and all the others. That same God has visited you in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Do y'all see that, Sanhedrin? Oh, they saw it. But if they give into it and they believe it, then they lose everything. They lose it all. They lose their prestige, their title, their money. They lose their position in the synagogue. And so it's probably just better to kill him and kill this movement. And that way we can keep all that we have. And Stephen has just given it to him. One writer puts it like this. He says, it's just not lost on him. Just as God freed Jesus from the prison of death and exalted him, so he did free Joseph from prison and exalted him. As Joseph was able to deliver his sinful brothers from physical death, so Jesus delivers his brothers from spiritual death. That's the rest of the story. Remember, he goes to Egypt. And while he's in Egypt, Pharaoh takes him out of prison because he properly translates the dream, and he makes him the prime minister of all of Egypt. Now he's, now he's in control, second only to Pharaoh himself. And so there Joseph is, and, and here, remember the brothers who sold him into slavery? The brothers who hated him probably 15, 20 years prior? They come to Egypt because there's great famine in Canaan and in Egypt. And yet Joseph, because of his skill and ability, he organized it so they could feed the people. And here comes, here comes the brothers. And the brothers come. Y'all remember that, that divine moment when Joseph reveals himself as their brother? And there's weeping, and there's forgiveness, and there's joy, and all those things come because there's brokenness. And there's, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. And this is what God does. God, He delivers. He he gives favor. He gives wisdom. Let me read it to you. It's Genesis 41, 39 and 40. This, 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 captures, um, this captures this story. 41, I don't know if y'all have it up there. 39 through 40. Oh, here comes the one contact syndrome. Here we go, buddy. We got this. Oh, thank y'all. Thank you so much for putting it up there. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you this, all of this, there's no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and over my people, and they shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And this is God's favor for Joseph. And Stephen's point in bringing it all up is because the favor of God that was upon Joseph 
is upon Jesus. And that last thing is the promotion. And that's, that's the beautiful thing, how God just takes Joseph and, and takes him out of such a dire, difficult, deadly situation and not only promotes him, church. Listen, when God does it, God does it real big, doesn't he? I mean, he takes him, not only promotes him, but now he's over all of the prime minister, he's over all of Egypt, and he has saved his, his brothers. So that's, that's the first part of his sermon. Next time, Lord willing, we'll pick right up in verse 17 and we will continue uh, our study with, um, with Stephen and his defense. Really the trial of his life, he will cost him his life. Let me just say this to you as we, as we wrap up our study today. I'm, I hope you hear my heart as I, as I come alongside of you. As these days increase in, in evil, and they will, till Jesus comes, there, there are going to be times where we as a church and you as individuals, and, and praise God, preacher, you've done this so many times when you were the pastor here so many times, was unafraid to stand, to stand for what's right. I'm not looking for a fight. I mean, look at me. Do you think I want to go fight people? I don't, I don't really care to fight unless it's for the gospel. Are you willing to do that? You say, well, I don't really know about this, Brother Dan, because I'm, I'm just here. I'm just in church. Everything's good. I'm going to go back to my life, and I'm going to live my life the way I want to live. Then I'll come back to church. You're, 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 you're messing with me. Yeah, because I'm, I'm saying today that this is just the highlight. We leave today and we go out and be the church. And we stand for Christ. And, and it may cost us. It may cost us our job. It may, it may cost us our health. Or it may cost us our family. Or it, or it may cost us even our very life. But why has God left us here except but to give glory to his name and to say, Jesus, you are worth it all. Any, anybody in there? Would you be willing to say, yes, I love God that much? Listen, when that happens and when God breaks through Austin like he's breaking through in Iran, the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. <laughs> no buildings, no structure led by a bunch of godly women who are out winning people to Jesus. And they say, yeah. When people find out we're Christians, we'll probably get life to, to death. It's 50 years of life in prison or we get death. And here's what they say. But what is a lifetime on this earth to live for Jesus Christ when I've got all eternity to worship him and praise him and tell him I represented you and I loved you while I was on this earth? Wow. But, but watch this though. Because of the faithful ones in Iran who are doing this, the church is exploding. CNN covered this story, right? They, they told you all about the church that is exploding in Iran. Didn't, didn't they cover that? Ah, uh, I got a thought. And if I say it, I'm going to get in trouble. But let, let me just say this. It has been covered. Other news networks have covered this very story. It was on the news this morning that the largest church in the world is in Iran. Listen, and the Christians in Iran are praying for the salvation and the prosperity of Israel. So wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now this, this doesn't make sense. No, it's documented. It's true. Now the regime is not. The regime hates death to Israel, shouts death to Israel. We're getting the bomb. We're going to obliterate them. They just said it recently again. Our desire is to remove them off the planet. But underneath 
as the church is being oppressed and suppressed, these godly women are out and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ right under the nose of the regime. I tell you, God is just amazing. You want to you want, you want in on something really cool? You, you want to get in on something that, that, that's destined to win? Then be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, unashamed of the gospel. Stand for Him where you are, where you work, where you live, where you play. Be accounted for Jesus Christ. Here's a couple things going to happen. You're going to stand out <laughs> because you're that guy, you're that lady, and you're speaking up for the gospel, and God's going to come alongside you. He's going to bless you. He's going to infuse you with the Holy Spirit. And yes, some are going to hate you, but others are going to love you. The favor of God is going to be upon you, and, and we're going to be the beneficiaries of it. Great Hills Baptist Church will grow and metastasize spiritually over and over as you and I go out there and love God, love people, take a stand, be bold, be courageous, be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said. He said, I'm, I'm not ashamed because it is the power of God to everybody who believes. Are y'all willing to do that? Some of you are going, oh, I don't know, Brother Daniel. You lost me when you talked about people talking about me and, and I might lose my job and, and, you know, and I, I might, somebody might hurt me. Somebody might say something bad about me if I stand up and take a stand for Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. At this point, years ago, I would come after you really hard. But God has changed my heart. I don't know if y'all are seeing an evolution of a preacher before your eyes. I used to get angry at this point. Say, Why don't you do that? You wimp. Get out there and stand for God. And it's like the Holy Spirit's like, don't say that. Just tell them how much I, just tell them how much I love them. I just love you so much. And I'm... And the love of God... And the mercy of God is a far greater motivator than the anger of man. Okay? Yeah. So, if that's you, and you're timid, and you're shy, you're ashamed, I just want to tell you something. Look out. Because when God gets a hold of you, it's awesome. He takes a Peter who was ashamed, cursing, denying Jesus. Y'all notice how Jesus came to him and won him back? Jesus didn't take his big old shepherd's nit, wit, idiot. How dare you deny me? I saw you over there denying me before. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? It's all about love. It's all about grace. It's all about, hey, I'm with you. Listen, you got this. Let's go. Let we do this together. And so if you're here today and you're timid and you're shy and you're like, well, I don't, have a, I don't have a bold cell in my body when it comes to the gospel. I just want to be honest with you. I just tell you, I don't speak up. I don't ruffle feathers. And I just let things said. And I know they're not right. And they, don't, they don't make me happy. But, but I just let them be gone. And, you know, because I don't want to cause any. Let me, let me just say this to you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray right now that the Holy Spirit would come upon you in a way he's never come upon you. And he's going to fill you and encourage you so that it's going to amaze you how bold you're going to be. Father, thank you.
Thank you for the love of God. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that you sure do love us. Mercy. But you love us so much, you, you, want, us to, you want us to do more, be better. And you motivate us through love and compassion, through example, through people like you, Jesus, through people like Abraham, who had faith and obedience, people like Joseph, who was dealt a harsh, harsh blow by the ones that should have loved him the most. And then there's Stephen, God, your man, your deacon, your champion. And Lord, his life, it convicts me. I have to be honest. I read about these great men and women of God and say, Lord, I, I want to do that. I, I want to be that kind of person. And I want to pray, God, for our people right here, right now. And many of you are watching online. God bless you. Thank you for tuning us in. But I want to ask you to stand. Would you just stand to your feet where you are? Would you all just stand up before the Lord right now? Let's all stand. We're, we're still praying, but... Terry's going to lead us in just a minute, but hold on. I want you to receive this. Lord, I want to pray, um, first of all, for many in this room. That God, this is very foreign to them. This is very difficult for them. They don't know you. They don't have a relationship with you. And Lord, I pray you'd reveal yourself to them. Lord, do whatever you need to do to save them. Change their heart, God. Change their mind. And Jesus, I want to pray for the remainder. Lord, I think there are hundreds of people here today who are saying, here am I, Lord. Send me. God, I'm, it's not that I don't want to. I just don't know how to. It's not that my heart's not, not willing. It's just I'm, I'm just get scared, God. I just get, I don't, I don't know what to say. Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, just, just rest upon them. Just rest upon us. And when we leave this place today, God, there will be a holy courage. There would be a boldness that we never knew was even possible in 2019. And the way we live this life, Lord, is very, very different. It's a lot of love. It's a lot of grace. It's a lot of compassion. No, we're not soft on sin because sin, Lord, it separates us from you. But, Lord, it's not so many times what we say. It's how. How we say it. How we live it. Help us, Lord. Help me. Thank you, Lord, for helping me. Thank you for being patient. Thank you for Great Hills Baptist Church. God, what a gracious people. What a patient people in my in my zeal, God, for you, I, I, I sometimes run past you, and I'm sorry for that. But, Lord, I am with our people. I want to be that kind of church. I want us to be full of grace, full of truth, speaking truth in love. Holy Spirit, rest upon us. Abide in us. Give us that courage that we need. Now, I'm going to close our prayer. And if you're here today and you would... You just receive this prayer and you receive this filling of the Holy Spirit to just anoint you and to empower you, then God bless you. Others of you are here today and man, God is calling you. He's calling you to a commitment, to a decision, and I have no idea what that is. He may be telling you it's time to get up and go to a place that he will show you. It may be that he's calling on you to stand among your family like Joseph 
and be the Savior, be the help that your family so desperately needs. It may be that He's calling on you to go to the nations, to go to a hostile place for the gospel. Hey, listen, I don't want to get in the way. I don't want to get in the way of what God might be doing in your lives. I'm just praying for you. I'm just praying that whatever God says, that you would just say, Lord, I don't understand it all, but yes. Yes, I will. I choose to praise you, God. I choose to trust you. And if you want us to help you with that, let us help you with that. There will be pastors here at the altar. There will be deacons. There will be, there will be ladies who are staff members. There will be ladies who are deacons' wives, pastors' wives. We will... We'll pray for you. We'll encourage you if you want us to. If you, you may just want to come to the altar and just, just between you and the Lord. Then you're invited to do that. Father, we pray that your will will be done. We love you, Lord. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Terry.